Right, guys, welcome back to CrickCast Pod, a podcast hosted by myself, Sam Crick, which is designed to offer an insight into the lives of elite performance in both the business and sport sphere. Now, this week, we have a very special guest. Please welcome Will Hobson. Will, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm not too bad. Yeah, enjoying myself on this, uh, what are we today? Is it Wednesday? Wednesday afternoon? Probably. <laughs> yeah, probably. Who knows? Uh, the lockdown... The lockdown syndrome, I think that's what it is, just uh, just getting to a bit of a routine of doing nothing. But, um, but Will, for you, after, you know, three months of, of being in this lockdown situation, how's, how's life for you? Uh, yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, we still had a full school timetable, so free time wasn't really a thing. Still getting sent our gym programmes. So, I mean, I've always had something to do, but it's just, it's just dull, really. Yeah, <laughs> just a bit boring, just being, I guess, inside all the time. But uh, for those uh, listeners that may not know you, uh, could you give us a, a quick background on yourself? Uh, yeah, so I'm Will. Um, I am the SIAP 2019 Chocolate Champion and Quinn's Under-18 Loosehead Anti-Ed Prop. There we go. And uh, you didn't always start out as a, as a prop or a shot putter. Um, where did your sort of sporting journey start, um, either position-wise or sport, uh, sport in, in general? Uh, yeah, so it's always been rugby, really. Um, I've always been a fly-half centre and very occasionally a winger. But yeah, so my old rugby coach at school was also the school athletics coach and he sort of took me around all the stations, as you do when you're little, doing a bit of long jump, a bit of javelin. And we got over to shot, but he was like, just throw it as far as you can. So I was like, all right then. And then I threw it and he just basically forced me to stick with that for every training session from then on. And then just kind of carried it on from there, really. And it went from there. And you were you're sort of balancing between, um, you know, the, the athletics and the, and the rugby at sort of like a um, prep school age. Was there any sort of success at that level? Or was it just sort of like... Throw the shot put and, and see how you do. What sort of uh, success did you have in that early stage? Yeah, so first year, sort of won every sort of local school competition, qualified for the national prep school championships, broke the national record in shot, and then won the discus as well. Did the same again in year seven, and then yeah, <laughs> that was the first two years of shot. Nice, and just to, just to put it into perspective. At that age, um, what sort in in relation to everyone else, the, those listening on the podcast obviously won't be able to see you're a big lad. Uh, at that younger age, at those prep school, um, were you just were you dominating not only in the shot but also in in stature as well? Yeah, so I think everyone else sort of clocking in around five three, five four, and then I rocked up about five eleven, bordering on a hundred kilos. <laughs> at the age of what, like eleven? 11, 12. Amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely uh, dominating in, in that sector. And you said um, just before we, we started recording that, um, that you've, you've had a bit of a shredding season during, uh, during this lockdown period. Uh, perhaps, you, perhaps you'd like to share, you know, how much, how much weight you lost there. Uh, yeah, so just before lockdown, I'd come off a four or five month knee injury where I'd done no exercise. So I was clocking in at about 133 kilos. <laughs> And I'm now down to 115 since yesterday. Shred. Well, I think maybe you should get on uh, on Instagram or YouTube video ads and just like, you know, sell those those products that people do where they're like, oh, yeah, you know, 
don't follow this program, follow this program, because, you know, 20 kilos, that's, that's pretty ridiculous, yeah. Um, but, yeah, and so, so Will, I'd, I'd be really interested. Previously, we've had a lot of um, athlete-based uh, guests, and a lot of them have, have sort of said that they started out with rugby and then they made the move to athletics. Now, you're in a position at the moment where you are balancing both. First of all, um, you know, how is that balance? And second of all, tell us a bit about um, your rugby as well at this point. Yeah, first of all, on the balance side, I, mean, I guess it's quite easy because obviously one is summer, one's winter. And also because I do shot and because I'm a prop, the sort of training the gym work and stuff, it all goes hand in hand. So if I look at the gym routine that my coach has given me for shot and then compare it to the one that Quinn's given me for rugby, it's pretty much the same. Just one has got a bit more cardio and I really don't like it. <laughs> yeah. Balancing yeah, is bad. So I guess sort of on the background of the rugby stuff is when I was a child, I sort of you know that one kid that you get in reception that just throws everything and tries to break everything. It's just a really destructive little kid. Yeah. So I was, sort of, <laughs> I was that since birth. And so and my I think it was my godbrother was like said to my mum and dad, I was like, this kid would enjoy rugby. So they took me down. And I don't know, kind of stuck ever since. And I was, yeah, that was four years old. And then sort of just stuck with it since. And then started getting serious probably around year eight. Obviously, I've done sort of school rugby before that. And then that's when I got picked up by Leicester. And then I was there, I think, for only a season. And then I moved to London. And then I went to Rosslyn Park. And the coach, um, Paul, uh, he, after the first game I played for them, I think I scored five in that game. And yeah, he just rings up the Quinns coach and like, can you come and have a look at this kid? And then the next game, uh, Jim, the Quinns coach, comes down and it sort of goes from there. And I was playing centre at that point for the club and then turned up to a Quinns training session. And it was one of those trial ones where you sort of play games in mini teams. And they'd given me a number three shirt and I was like, What's this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is nothing. And then like, you're playing prop. So I was like, do I have a choice in this? No, nah, you're too <laughs> big to have a choice in this. So yeah, I kind of stuck with prop, not through choice. I actually despised it at first. And then sort of carried on through Quinns, played a few games, um, under 15s, under 16s, and then Wellington College. So yeah, we like the look of this kid. And then obviously when that happens with sort of anyone from any sport, all the other private schools find out. So you had um, Whitgift with uh, Hampton, Wellington, and was just sort of like throwing offers. Nice. And then I think the thing that actually it came down to for Wellington was one, it was the only one that was a mixed school, and two, they had no kit. Nice, okay, yeah. So deal breakers are basically just girls and merch. Exactly that. <laughs> Um, so yeah, and then sort of first season at Wellington, this, so this season, absolute disaster. So I had a little operation on my back, sort of three days before I joined, and then sort of made it back for the first couple of games, which were those sort of small games we played, I think we played Dulwich and Northampton School for Boys. And then leading up to the third, and then after that, we had a stretch. We were playing Whitgift, Millfield, Sedborough, sort of all the big schools. And in the training leading up to Whitgift, I decided it'd be a good idea to absolutely do my knee in. So, <laughs> I missed them. 
And then I came back for the St. Joe's Festival in October. And sort of, I think we played seven games over two days. Okay. And the last pretty, game... Pretty was, intense. Oh, yeah, it was horrible. Absolutely horrible. For someone who doesn't like cardio, I guess that was not not the best series of games yeah. that you could have ever played, yeah. But then, yeah, so last game on the first day, someone, I don't know if you've ever seen on a telly, sort of, where someone's legs sort of fling round into your knee and it goes at a weird angle. Not so nice. that happened. And my knee just sort of, you couldn't tell my knee from my thigh. It was, it was absolutely <laughs> huge. And then we've got a physio at school and he's really good physio apart from the fact that he always wants you to play. Right. So I was sort of getting all of the fluid out of my leg. He was giving me ridiculous amounts of painkillers. And then it was like, oh yeah, you'll be fine. We'll just keep you dosed up. Always. <laughs> yeah, but very good medical, theory. good medical advice from that bloke. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then we played the next day. I actually think I played better on the second day than I did the first day. I don't know how. And then we ended up winning that. But after that, I was just absolutely gone. I could not hack it anymore. And I was out from October through to sort of late February. Oh, not nice. And they're the worst months to be out as well, I guess, because, yeah. I mean, through that winter, it's just grim, yeah. But then, yeah, so I did a lot of rehab. Oh, the rehab was the worst bit, to be honest. And then, sort of, yeah, I came back for the last couple of games. Managed to get concussed on my second game back as well. Good effort. And then we played a game against Sarri's, like a one-off fixture at the end of the academy season. And I was quite surprised because I made me captain and I really didn't oh, know nice. where that came. And then, yeah, we sort of, that's, it just kind of ended there because of the whole virus. Yeah. And then, yeah, but over the summer we've just been sort of doing, because all the super rugby's started now. So we have to wake up at sort of 4.30 in the morning to watch a game. We can't even just watch it to enjoy it. We have to analyse it. Oh, nightmare. <laughs> yeah, at half so, the Wait, so do you all get on a... What, do, you, do you all meet up or do you get on a Zoom call or something and then just watch it on a live stream? Uh, so we all watch it individually and then like a couple of days later we'll have a huge like 70-person meeting to review everything. Jesus. But the, yeah. but the thing is with, with Super Rugby, it's a lot different. Like it's a lot different. Like you have, you know, you see these, these ridiculous tries that are being scored, but you sort of don't realise that actually like if they were to play in the Prem, they'd get absolutely, you know, for... for lack of a better term just folded in half yeah most of them i think uh what was it Gen like uh ellis Genge said on on twitter the other day i think he was just having like a a row back and forth not with a super rugby lad but i think an american football player and oh, he was yeah, just giving um oh, mate, i forgot Mark but he, King? yeah he was giving he was basically just giving him shit and he was just like <laughs> right mate i would like i'd bend you over or something it was ridiculous um, <laughs> and i love i love that guy he just i think we were saying before about house of rugby and that's a podcast that I just love, like watching, listening to, you know, a bit, bit of controversy, but also, you know, get that personal side. But, um, but yeah, Genge said that he would just fold him in half and he probably would. Honestly, Ellis Genge's Twitter is the best thing I've ever seen. So good. If, if you haven't one, seen it, check it out. I think it was the one after, um, it was against Scotland in the Six Nations, it's going to be one thirteen six, and he scored the try. And his tweet when he put the try up, instead of just going on about how proud he was to have scored it, he just put a photo of him throwing gang signs up and the caption was just BS4 gang gang. <laughs> Absolute legend. He is. And, and I think, you know, it just speaks his mind. And I think if you, you know, you still get those like little snippets of interviews and that's sort of what I don't really like and which is why we're doing sort of these, these bits of, uh, with Crit Cast Pod. But, um, but yeah, mate, 
he's just an absolute joker. And I think that's where that's where the sport's a bit more marketable, where you've got those personalities. Like in our sport with athletics, um, I guess it's sort of similar with rugby, but you've got those teams and those people that you can follow. Um, you know, the likes of Bolton, Mo Farah might have slightly gone to the wayside. But um, yeah, who do you, in the, in the athletic sphere, either, you know, what you follow um, or in, you know, in shot specifically, who is... Who is the one for you in athletics that you would sort of look at and, uh, you know, either aspire to be to or, or follow? Um, if we're talking sort of technical ability, then it's probably David Stoll. Okay, just yeah. He does when you watch him, you're just like, that's impressive. But I still think if we're going sort of a vibe, it's got to be Usain Bolt. I don't think anyone could beat him. Just yeah. He's coming up to the biggest race of his life and he's dancing. Yeah. Eating chicken nuggets before the race and stuff like that. He just doesn't really care. That's just something I can aspire to. <laughs> I can get behind that, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that if athletics could have that, and I think there's a few, you know, there's a few on the circuit that are, that are up and coming, but this is the exact thing that I want to get going um, for, the, for these like Wednesday episodes where you get um, sort of the younger athletes. And, you know, your first experience, we've heard of it in rugby, but with athletics, um, you know, making that that stage you mentioned to start with that you you know the Saab um you know shot put champion that experience for you was it expected or was it something that came completely out of the blue um yeah that was completely out of the blue like I sort of rocked up to English schools and we're going if we were going on ranking and form I was expecting to medal maybe get a bronze because I think I was ranked third or fourth in the country at that point and Obviously, I knew Chris was going to win English schools. He'd thrown over a metre further than me. So I was kind of, I was had an outside hope of qualifying for Sire. So, I mean, it was a nice surprise to do that in the first place. And then we rocked up. And I mean, this isn't a slur against all the other nations, but I think we won pretty much every event. Right, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so after like a little while, it was clear that it was between me and Chris. And it was just one of those days I threw a PB and Chris had a really off day, bless him. But you could tell that because he's the type of person where because there's a few people I'm not going to mention any names, but when they're having a good day, they're sort of rubbing it in your face, like oh, okay. yeah, those little kids. And then, <laughs> but he's the type of person that he'll just get on with it. He'll always be nice to you, whatever. So I did genuinely feel really bad for him when he had after. Obviously, I was really happy to win, but no, that was completely unexpected, especially against Chris. Yeah, I mean, that's that's huge as well. I mean, you know, getting into that environment before, I haven't, haven't, you know, been to that stage, obviously, been to an English schools and stuff like that. And that in itself is, you know, a massive event where you're competing against, you know, the best in the country um, from all of the schools in, in across England. Uh, but yeah, when you go that next level and that next step, but then you're just competing again against like a teammate. Um, so he goes from a competitor at English schools to a teammate in the SIAB. Does that sort of change how you felt about going into that competition or was it still like oh, I'm here to to try and do a job um I don't really know I think a big part of it, I did still want to beat him and that's just because that's me I hate losing I yeah. think I've been the same since I was about three but yeah it was a bit different because he was in my flat as well with the accommodation right so we stayed at the uni and I mean I'm sure most people in that flat especially Ethan and Sam Brereton can remember most of the stuff that happened that night <laughs> but yeah I think the whole vibe of the thing has changed completely because English schools you're there you're and then obviously you're in the county but 
you can't you're there for yourself yeah at Syab it's just like I think the rivalry of between the countries sort of overtakes your individual ones and yeah it was just I don't know I I did I expected him to win and I honestly I wouldn't have been disappointed if he did because it's just one he's ridiculously talented and two he's a really nice guy but obviously there's always going to be that part of you in whatever sport where no matter how nice of a guy someone is you still don't want to lose to him yeah no of course yeah I'm sure I, I think that you know most of our listeners whether you know they're in uh you know in the business sphere or even sports sphere you, you're you're probably fairly competitive in that sense and uh and i think we can get that from from you there will the, that competition side and i'm definitely competitive not only with um people that run and compete against but also like in business if, if you're competing against someone else who's doing the same sort of thing then uh but that's um that's quite an interesting one but um but yeah i think uh it'd be interesting to find out where you see the next few years going in terms of that balance between shot and uh and rugby because i know that I mean, you're, you're benefited, like you said, with the weight training that you do, that you can sort of have that balance. But, you know, which side are you sort of leaning towards, if any? Or are you going to try and keep both going? Oh, it's a tough one at the moment because, I mean, this time, I think as of today, next year, there's a possibility of me having a rugby contract. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, that would just, that would decide it for me, really. Um, obviously if I don't do that then obviously plans to go to uni and whatever and if I go to uni then I'll probably keep both going because I think the thing that I mean most athletes and most sports people can aspire to is no matter what the sport that they're doing the best for themselves doesn't really feel good enough they just want to be the best full stop so I think if I don't get a rugby contract then it's probably going to be athletics because I think if I've not made it to the top in rugby then I'm just going to try and do it in athletics and do everything I can for that instead. Nice. I like it. Yeah, no, good stuff. And, and in terms of uh, like advice that you might give to someone who's maybe, you know, 14, 15 years old, maybe looking at uh, that balance that they've got, maybe they're in a similar situation where they've got uh, two sports that they're weighing up. What sort of advice would you give, the, uh, give to them in, in terms of uh, choosing which one to go for? Um, I don't know, I think... The first one is just sort of what do you actually enjoy doing more? Because, I mean, if you, if say they're doing rugby and athletics, if you absolutely despise rugby but you're quite good at it, then just stop because otherwise you're going to be stuck doing that for God knows how long. Um, I think another one would come down to success because obviously if you're choosing to sports, you want to be successful in whichever one you choose. But I also think that at our age, um, there isn't really necessarily a need to choose, especially if you're balancing two sports that are in sort of separate seasons. Um, it's just what I find with a lot of sort of elite sports people, elite athletes our age, is that they still expect to be able to train at the highest level for both sports, still get all of their schoolwork done, and still go out and party. Yeah. Like, you, you will have to make sacrifices in whatever you do. So, I think a big part of it is just think of the long run and uh, what you're going to miss out on now for training, for competitions, for travel is in a few years when most people know your name because you've gone to internationals or whatever, it's all going to sort of come back. So I think just, yeah, don't be afraid to put yourself first and not worry about what other people think. 
That's great advice. I think that often we can look at, um, and we've had ex- uh, you know examples of that with previous guests where they talk about um, their the different types of training or their different types of competing. And actually, you know, if you just focus on yourself um, and focus on the job in hand for, for you um, and what works best, then you know that's where you'll find that success. And that passion usually comes from you. Um, you can get sort of inspired or motivated by other people, but I think that that passion, that drive sort of comes from uh, the individual. But yeah, great advice. And on the uh, Crickcast pod, we do a few like quick fire questions, um, which sort of like quicker questions, but you can sort of answer them in any depth uh, that you'd like. So if you were to create a sevens team with uh, current like players in uh, current England players, basically, who would you who would you put in which positions? Uh, right. So forwards, I would go with. I'd have Ellis Gend, I would have Sam Underhill, Tom Curry. Nice. Oh, and then, um, for the backs, I think Anthony Watson, Johnny May, Joe Cock and the Singer, and George Ford. Nice. As the Mate, I, that would be horrible. I, I'm wondering if Ellis, if Ellis has got the legs for it. He be, he backs himself in a uh, in a sprint, I think. But um, you know, he might about 14 minutes. Oh. Long time in it. Be a, be a the prop out there. <laughs> Get the bench involved. Um, love it. Um, and in your experience at Harlequins, um, you mentioned some of the coaches that you know have inspired you. Is, is anyone ever sort of come up to you? And is there anything that someone said um, that's really hit home to you and, and sort of given you some really good advice? Um, I think, I mean, pretty much my entire Quinn's sort of career so far. Obviously, I've had sort of conversations and trained with a few of the first teamers but I think the one thing that anyone's ever said is when my coach Jim uh, he, he came up to me because I was sort of having a game because obviously I just moved to prop so I was having a game where I was trying to play, play like a prop and so I was sort of running in not passing or anything and he just turned around to me and just went well just play like a bag just treat yourself like a fat bag and I was like Cheers, well, Kim. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, that's just stuck with me, and now that's how I've decided to play, and it's, I mean, it's working out all right. You're playing like a fat back. <laughs> exactly. Nice. I rate that highly. And um, in terms of, I mean, you, you mentioned, touched on slightly there with uh, with Ethan and, and Sam and the boys, just uh, maybe messing about slightly on on a, a camp or whatever, and um, going to a comp. Um, in terms of uh, Eva Sports, has there been uh, a night out or an experience where you're just like, God, that was that was one of the best. Um, I mean, Syab is by far the best, but I'm not sure we can talk about that on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess you do want to get a contract next year. Yeah, I mean, at least get selected for something again. <laughs> yeah, so Syab by far the best, but we can't really go into the details. Nice. And uh, if you were to get anyone on this podcast, um, rugby, athletics, or anything related to that, who would it be? Oh, I think I'd have to go with Johnny May. Nice. Just because he would give some weird answers. He's He's been through both as well. Like, he was a very talented athlete when he was younger as well. Uh, absolutely yeah. rapid and then went to rugby. But, yeah, weird, weird answers. What do you mean by that? Um, I don't know if you've seen any of the interviews, but at the England camp, he's very sort of, like, he isolates a lot. Okay. But... He has, apparently, he has an alter ego that is a chicken. (laughs) Genuinely. And according to him, that's why, if you watch him play, 
he never really knows where he's running. He just runs. Just like comes out. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. We'll have to we'll have to message him uh, and maybe get Genj on as well um, for some for some top quality uh, top quality chat. And maybe I need to improve my social media and get some of his uh, panache uh, in tweets. Sorry, so um, but that would be really interesting. And and uh, well, if people want to find out a bit more about your Syab antics, uh, maybe not on this podcast. Where can they find you on your social media? Uh, so my Snapchat and my Instagram are both wh.ldn um, or just follow me on Facebook or anything really. Oh, so, yeah. Fantastic. Well, well, I thoroughly enjoyed that. That was really good fun. Thank you very much for, for joining us and thanks to everyone listening. Um, please keep liking on the social platforms, Pod on Instagram uh, and let us know who you'd like to see on these up and coming Wednesday episodes. But I've been Sam Crick. This has been Will Hobson, and we look forward to seeing you on the next one. Will, thanks very much. Cheers, Sam. Nice one.